Have you ever thought about what it is that makes a person wise? What is it that makes a person wise? What do you have in your head this morning? You know, there's a perception that wisdom looks like, I don't know, maybe uh, the marketing teams across America will take an owl and they make the owl wise. The owl is wise. They slap a pair of glasses on him. And wearing glasses will, of course, make you look wise. You'll look like an owl, right? Or be like an owl, a wise owl. And of course, well-read. Some would say what makes a person wise is perhaps it's the gray hair that one has on the top of their head. I have lots of it. It's actually white now. But they say that gray hair, only if you're a guy, it makes you look distinguished. And after all, the distinguished man is wise, so they say. Maybe it's someone who's attained advanced degree. They've got their MDiv or they've got their PhD and whatever it is, right? Maybe that's what it is that makes someone wise. Maybe it's one who can wax eloquently about any subject. We have those in our family, right? They seem to wax eloquently on just about anything, right? Is that what makes a person wise? Well, James is going to actually show us what wise is and what wise isn't according to the Word of God. So he's going to teach us through the Word. And as we look through these verses today, you'll see that there's definitely two kinds of wisdom. One is from above and the other is from below. So with that in view, would you please stand so that we can read James 3, 13 through 18 together as a church family, as is our custom each and every week. Here's what God's word says. Again, the words will be behind me. It says, who is wise and understanding amongst you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So reads the holy written word of God. You may be seated. It's almost as if uh, James, the half-brother of Jesus, this pastor, is speaking to those who would hear us this morning and certainly to his intended audience. He's speaking to them in a grandfatherly tone. It's almost as if he's saying, okay, brothers, sisters, why don't you just bring it in here for a moment? Bring it in. And then James proceeds to hug the saints while at the same time he's chewing on the saints a little bit. You know, to chew on somebody is to kind of get after them a little bit. So he's telling them, bring it in. He's embracing them, but at the same time, he's giving them a tough word. So the tough word continues from last week, but we see as we go to the end of the text, it's starting to loosen up a little bit. It loosens up a whole heck of a lot. So 
James starts, you may have noticed in verse 13, with a question. James starts with a question. And what is the question? Verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you? Who is wise and understanding among you? I want you just to notice what James does not say. Notice what he does not say. He doesn't say, who in the room? Remember, he's speaking to the church. He's speaking to the saints, speaking to Christians. He doesn't say, who in the room right now has the most theological training? Who's that guy? That's not what he says. He's not saying, who is the most distinguished? Who has the most gray hair? That's not what he says. Who has the PhD amongst you? He doesn't say that. He says, rather, who is wise and who is understanding amongst you? James, of course, as I've shared, is speaking to the church. Perhaps James is referring to the teachers. I believe that he is. Remember, we talked about the teachers who would teach the word of God. Uh, But he's implying, uh, for those of you who are teachers, to all of us that are Christians, where is the wisdom and understanding in, in any given church family? Where does this wisdom and understanding come from in the church, in the leaders of the church, or just the Christians in general? And how can we tell who has wisdom and understanding in the church? We ought to know, and James teaches us that this morning. So, how can we determine who is wise? Or how can we answer the question before us? Well, Scripture gives us the answer. Let's read all the way through verse 13. Again, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works and the meekness of wisdom. So what does this mean? What is James getting at? He's saying that true wisdom, true wisdom, like true faith, shows itself through deeds done in humility. It's faith and action done in humility. So James is encouraging the, the saints to demonstrate their faith, not only in good deeds, but to demonstrate wisdom by their godly living. That's what he's saying. And it almost is like, yeah, no, duh, but needs to be said needs to be said. So that's why he's saying it. Again, he's encouraging the saints in this. You know, for the one who is wise will show his works because a true faith, as I've said, is a faith in action. And that's what he's getting at. Let us be people that show our faith, that obey the Lord and look like the one to whom we say we represent. If we say we rep Christ, then rep him well would be the point. But this word meekness here, meekness is a sign of wisdom. Meekness could be harnessed power. It doesn't mean that you're weak. It's harnessed power, controlled power. It knows why you do the things that you do and who you do it for, right? Meekness is a sign of wisdom. It's a gentle and humble spirit. Who do you want to lead you, Lakeshore City Church? Who do you want to disciple you, Lakeshore City Church? Who do you want to learn from, Lakeshore City Church? You want to learn from those who have a gentle and a humble spirit, right? Now, the opposite of this would be arrogance. Arrogance, someone who is arrogant. 
And that's not good, obviously, right? But I like what one author said. He said this, Few believers need a change in their circumstances. We, we talk about that a lot. If only my circumstances were changed. And you guys, all of us, plug in whatever circumstance we are dealing with or have dealt with, or maybe we're dealing with a circumstance right now with a brother, a sister, friend, relative, dad, mother, whatever, right? So few believers need a change in their circumstances half as much as they need wisdom to manage their circumstances. For instance, a Christian man doesn't need a new spouse. He needs God's wisdom to love and live with the spouse that he has. Wisdom applied in all scenarios. No matter the challenge, wisdom is to be applied. Be applied. Godly wisdom. What does the word of God say? How do I operate in a way that would please the Lord? But wisdom here, the descriptor for wisdom here and other places, it's describing a person with moral insights and skill in deciding practical matters. A lot of wisdom is practical in its nature. It's not a guess, do we zig or we zag, do we go or not go. Wisdom is, describes a mature man or woman. They have skill in deciding or making decisions, even in practical matters. Wisdom, the man or woman of wisdom uh, has wisdom because he's getting or she's getting that wisdom from the direct relationship with God, the vertical alignment. So wisdom from below is what is depicted in verses 14 through 16. I want you to just think about that for a second. There is a wisdom from below, and we see wisdom from below in verses 14 through 16. Now, wisdom from below is worldly wisdom. Wisdom from below is selfish, and it's, it's envious. Look at all the descriptors here in 14 through 16. Let's just read them, and you just take notice of some of the things uh, that describes wisdom from below. Again, 14. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. Verse 15. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly. It's unspiritual. It's demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. So look what James is doing. You see an, an, an escalation of words. The words start to get more and more what? Significant. I mean, he's moving from bitter jealousy to being demonic. So the hearts of many, the hearts of many are characterized by selfish ambition and bitter envy. But, the, but selfish ambition, think about it, selfish ambition, it can and oftentimes will take someone to the top of the organizational chart. Selfish ambition can do that or aid in the pursuit of many things. But it's not coming from above is the point. It's demonic. And he's saying this type of behavior 
is coming straight from the pit of hell. So it's worldly wisdom, two wisdoms, right? There's wisdom from below and wisdom from above. We want the wisdom from above. So James wants to be clear that human wisdom, okay, let me say it again. James wants us to be clear that human wisdom, human wisdom only furthers or it furthers Satan's agenda. It propagates Satan's agenda. So it's not good. To think, to be people who think like the world soon moves us to act like the world. So to act like the world is to be a people who are doing Satan's bidding. Again, remember James's audience. He's preaching to the church. Paul Tripp drills even deeper on this passage. as He says, he reminds us, Again, what's depicted here in verses 14 through 16, and he's talking about envy, and we see envy tied up all over the place in these verses here. He says, this is what envy does. It's self-focused, and it's self-righteous. Again, we're talking about wisdom from below, right? Wisdom from below is self-focused and self-righteous. It inserts you into the center of your world. It makes everything all about you. It tells you that you deserve what you don't deserve. Envy is expectant and demanding. Envy tells you that you're something when you're not and, it, and that you're entitled to what is rightfully yours. Envy cannot celebrate the blessing of others because it tells you that you are more deserving Envy tells you that you've earned what you can never earn. Envy forgets who you are. It forgets God and is confused about what life is all about. So you see the destructive pattern of this wisdom from below. And notice the word self that keeps coming up. Self-centered. It's all about me. Look at me. It's not about others. It's wisdom from below. If you were to take a look and break a lot of these down, these words these descriptors here you see pride everywhere not just envy but pride and pride is from below you know i heard an old uh, baptist preacher once say this he says you know you can't always see pride but you can sure smell it isn't that the truth you could smell pride you could smell it from a mile away it's so obvious to those who were watching it but not obvious to the one who is making the smell right so think, think about that for a second. Pride always has and always will promote self. Pride, as it promotes self, doesn't just do that. It also brings others down. Pride is a type of wisdom that is motivated, motivated by the desire to pull people down while we push ourselves forward. It's the, it's the opposite of heavenly wisdom. As leaders, as Christians, we should always metaphorically be wanting to eat last. It's about others. It's about the kingdom. It's seeking first the kingdom of God. So James has got something to say. You see, the tongue, as we learned last week, as we're talking about the tongue in this chapter, it reveals just how wise we are. Not how wise we think we are, but how wise we really are. You see, the tongue 
as we learned last week, is showing not just us, but the world, what is actually going on in our heart. What's going on in your heart? Your tongue tells on you. You're, you know, you, you, when you deal with the tongue, you're dealing with the heart, or you deal with the heart, you're dealing with the tongue. So it's deeper than the tongue. It's, it's actually at the heart level. But worldly wisdom... It's not always as obvious as we see in the text today. Let me give you a practical uh, example uh, that would be helpful, I think. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but for those of you that do own your home, you may have noticed it's gone up in value quite a bit. Have you noticed that? And some of you that are trying to buy homes are saying, yeah, it's going up a lot. But you may have noticed that it's gone up tremendously. So, the earthly wisdom given to Louise and I, and we get this from lots of people, and I, but the earthly wisdom is, Charlie and Louise, why don't you sell your house and just cash out? This would be the time. Charlie and Louise, if there was ever a time, this would be the time to cash out and, and set yourself up real nice. But the priority, at least for me and my wife, is not affluent living. Our priority isn't to set ourselves up real nice. That's not what our priority is. It is, however, to seek first the kingdom of God. And that can only be accomplished when the followers of Christ, in this particular case, Charlie and Louise, are seeking heavenly wisdom, which comes from above. So if the heavenly wisdom that comes from above says, Charlie and Louise, move, we, we move. But I'm just giving you a practical example. So it's not what we want, it's to go to the Lord because all of the decisions, whether it's a home or a job or it's a health situation, whatever it is, we got to take this to the Lord and we go to the Lord and we ask him to help us. So it's not what we want, it's about the kingdom. You see, when we, became, when we were saved, when we were truly regenerated, what happens to the believer is we become a slave. The word in the, English, in, the, in the original language is doulos. We're a slave to Christ, but willingly slave. We willingly submit ourselves to the Lord. And we say, Lord, my life is no longer about what I want. It's about your will, your will be done. And if you've been a Christian for a long time, you will realize and you will continue to realize that your will, his will often differs from what you or I want. And God says, you just have to trust me. Get the wisdom that comes from above in all things. Jobs, where you live, uh, you know, everything, just every decision. We, we do it, we put it through the lens of Scripture. So, when, we, when the heart is changed, when we're truly saved, again, James is speaking to the church, when we change the heart, or when God changes the heart, the speech follows. When God changes the heart, your mouth follows. They go together. So he's getting at something pretty significant here. But, the pri but again, that is... This wisdom from below is easy to get to fall prey to. So he gives us all those descriptors. But then he gives us, in verses 17 through 18, the wisdom that is from above. So we know wisdom from below, but now he says the wisdom 
that is from above. And we see that in 17 and 18. So again, if human wisdom comes from below, if human wisdom is rooted in selfish ambition, and it's rooted in, uh, it's rooted in you know, bitter in envy, then James contrasts the two. It's the total opposite of what we just got done reading. Again, it's wisdom from above, 17 and 18. Let me read it. Look at the contrast here. But the wisdom from above, this is the good stuff, it is first pure. Then it's peaceable. Look at this next one. It's gentle. It's open to reason. Are you open to reason? And the harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So this wisdom comes from above. It comes from heaven. It is motivated by God-centered humility because that's what's going to drive us or should drive us, a God-centered humility. And the results of such actions results in peace and righteousness. That's what we can expect. That's the outcome. But notice that in the text, it's almost like everything has just changed. In, in, in chapter 3, verses 1, all the way down to 16, I mean, James is really harsh. I mean, it's a real tough word. But everything just changes now. It's like now it's like, in a way, it's like it's incredibly hopeful. It's, it's like we go from all these warnings and and now it's like this tone is like, you know, James is saying, enjoy this sweet release, this sweet release. Let's get rid of that tension. Have a sweet release. James is saying, come on, come, come, come jump in the jacuzzi with me now. Come relax. Take a load off. Let's talk about some things. And look what he says. He said, if you want to live out faith, if you want to live out this faith of ours, then here is the answer to everything. And it's in 17 and 18. You want to live it out? You need some answers? It's in 17 and 18. So what James is doing is he's focusing in on the things not just one, the things, multiple, plural, that will foster harmony amongst the faithful. Because the church needs to foster harmony in the congregation amongst the faithful. This list provided to us in 17 and 18 characterizes true wisdom. Ultimately, it's the spirit that produces this in us, but Think about it. As we read those verses, I bet you some of you are thinking about the fruit of the Spirit. I mean, you see the fruit of the Spirit here. Again, a reminder. Again, when things are repeated, it's important, right? But we can go back and see a parallel verse here of the fruit of the Spirit, right? But again, 18. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace peace. Let me read that again. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Brothers and sisters, this isn't a very difficult teaching to grasp. It will take a lifetime to obey it. You will never be able to do it unless you're, you're saved. 
but it's not difficult to grasp. Human wisdom tears down. That would be a practical way to say it. Godly, will, godly wisdom builds others up. Human wisdom leads to strife. Godly wisdom leads to peace. And godly wisdom doesn't always lead to peace immediately. But eventually, it does. God will help us. He promises to be there. Now, the other person may not have peace, but you will. But you will. But our prayer is that everyone would have peace. And remember, we're talking to the church. And there should be peace amongst the brethren. There should be. So the two wisdoms, again, being described by James, from above and the other from below, are radically different in their source, but also in their outcome. In their outcome. Wisdom from above is deeply practical and will, go and will guide all of life, including our speech. Again, I don't want to move off our tongue because he talks about it so much. It's amazing how when we're walking with the Lord, when we're faithful and we're obedient to the Lord, how much our tongue comes into play. It matters. That's why he talks about it so much. Again, the tongue will give you, will give everybody that you're talking to an idea of what's going on in your heart. So it's important. So wisdom from above is deeply practical. You will know the truly wise because their wisdom is from above. It breeds humility. It breeds purity, harmony, gentleness, and reasonableness in both actions and words. You will know it's wisdom from above because the fruit will be a righteous behavior in their own lives, and this is the rub and also in the lives of others around you. Because what are we looking to try to do? It's not just about us. We want to rub off on people in a way that's going to bring honor and glory to the Lord. As Paul would say to the church, as he would say, be like me, for I am like Christ, to summarize some of his statements. He wasn't being braggadocious. He was being a man that was completely transformed, had bought in, had fully surrendered his life. And he says, I'm fully surrendered to him. Therefore, you do like me. You do likewise. He gives all the glory to the Lord. But he says, I'm fully surrendered, right? He's fully surrendered. His behavior has been transformed. He's not just saying that he's something. He's, there's action to back it up. We cannot gain true wisdom without turning to God for it. The world cannot get true wisdom from the world. You can only get it from one place. It's from the Lord. Remember what we learned in James 1.5. If any of you lack wisdom, ask God who will give it to you generously. He will give it to you. If the source of wisdom is God, and I believe that you believe that, if the source of wisdom is God, then we need to be the type of people who are praying for wisdom to God. 
It's one thing to know where to get wisdom for. It's another thing to seek him while you're going through something. Sometimes we have the propensity to get our wisdom from the world. And the Lord is saying everything. Me. 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 Let me be involved in your life. How much of my life, Lord? Everything. Everything. We need God to do lots of things. But we need God to humble our hearts. We need God to tame our tongue. Uh, we learned in a marriage seminar that Tom and Pam were hosting, along with Dane and Tammy Johnson, that we're to be a type of people with our tongue, that we're attacking the problem, not the person. Imagine what would happen in our lives if we attacked the problem and not the person. To truly know God is to truly know you. You see, when you know God, you start to know you a whole heck of a lot better. And you don't say, boy, look at me, I am great. Now, what's different than that? You say, boy, look at me. Woe to me, a sinner. I deserve hell, but by God's grace, because of the cross, I get to have an eternal relationship with him. I'm saved, redeemed, set apart. I'll spend eternity with him in heaven. So to truly know God means you start to really know your true self, right? A sinner. We also realize when we truly know God that we are, in fact, in need of of God's grace. We know. We know. I want you to notice the beautiful word, the beautiful word that starts off verse 17. Let me spell it for you and then you say what it is. B-U-T. What is that? But. So notice how the the verses, this section of scripture starts to change. I've shared that with you already. But you see this, but. All this stuff, wisdom from below, don't do this. This is horrific living. This is of the devil. It's demonic. And he says, but the wisdom, but the wisdom from above. It's the but God. Anytime you see that, those are beautiful words but God. Let me give you a few but gods and about six or seven scriptures. I'll read them quickly. They may be on the screen. Acts 13, 29 and 30. When they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb, but God raised him from the dead. Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. First, then how about this one? 1 Corinthians 1, 27, but God again, but God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. You're getting the idea, right? But God, uh, 1 Corinthians 2, 10, no eye has seen or ear heard the things which God has prepared for those who love him, but God has revealed them to us through his spirit. 1 Corinthians 3, 6, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. 
1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. And then my favorite, but God, is found in Ephesians, Ephesians 2, 4 through 6. And what does that say? But God. But God being rich and mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. But God, too beautiful words in the English language. These verses that I just got done reading to you tell us that our circumstances do not get the last word. Okay? The enemy does not get the last word. Death and disease do not get the last word because there's always a but God. That's the life we're living but God will intervene, but God will see me through, but God will make a way when there is no way, that no matter what happens to me, I will spend eternity with him. I will stand on the promises of God, but God, you see. So let's talk about some practical application. What is, in your own mind, and maybe in your own words, what is wisdom from below? And what is wisdom from above? How would you define it now that we've gone through this if you're being honest are you in need of wisdom today are you have you made it a practice when you're in need of wisdom to go pray james 1 5 are you asking for wisdom are there things you do in your life where you're not asking for wisdom in is there anything that you do where you just say, God, I'm not going to include you in on this? How about this one? Are you in need of making a decision today? And if you are, what does the word say about your situation? Think about that. Are you in need of wisdom today? Do you have wise counsel? Is there someone that you can call, talk to, to walk you through uh, what you need to get walked through, right? We got a descriptor. What we, who should we be looking at? Who should we be talking to about these things? So, application, seek wisdom from God's word, from God's people, and seek wisdom from above through prayer. So, seek wisdom... To what? Again, seek wisdom through the word, God's people, and through prayer above. Remember, as I close, there's always a way that seems right to a person. But in the end, it leads to death. You see, what James wants every one of us to grab, pastor included, our ways will fail us our ways will fail us we need god and we need to do things his way that is the message that's before us today so there's 
a worldly wisdom that's from below and a godly wisdom. So today, think about what you heard and apply the word of God to your life. And God promises to give you wisdom. If you want wisdom, you're going to get it because that's the God that you serve.